0: You're listening to Diferente. This is the second episode in a special six-episode series on entrepreneurship. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to start your own business? Or have you already started and you need some inspiration and real-life business-savvy advice from fellow entrepreneurs who have been through the ups and downs? In this entrepreneurship series, you will hear from six different entrepreneurs who are all in different stages of their brand's life cycle. Some are just starting and some are making major waves that have disturbed industry. Each conversation focuses on a specific topic that keeps entrepreneurs up at night. The good news is that we can all learn from their struggles without having to sacrifice our beauty rest. My guest this episode is creative strategist and marketing entrepreneur, Alex Santiago. Alex has been living his motto of rebeldia and creating with purpose for many years. He works with brands with the goal to transform moments, challenge the norm, and make a statement. And he believes in revolutionizing culture and the power of inspiring people through meaningful branded experiences. Alex is a native of Puerto Rico and in this episode he shares how his childhood struggles and experiences helped him become a unique kind of marketer who understands American culture as a mosaic of cultures rather than a melting of identity to fit in. You'll understand what I mean by that when you listen to the whole episode, but he also knows the value of being Diferente as a person and a brand. Bienvenidos, welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming at you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you stories and ideas related to life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Alex, welcome, bienvenido to Diferente. It's been a long time coming, and I'm so glad we finally made this happen. How are you?
1: Muchas gracias. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, you
0: know, a little bit more settled now, uh, getting back into the hang of things. We just moved, as you remember I told you. Um, (laughs) And so it was a bit of a whirlwind over the last few months, but we're good. We're, We're getting there.
1: Awesome, awesome.
0: There are a lot of things that I want to discuss with you today specifically to talk more about the marketing side of entrepreneurship and marketing strategy. But before we get into that, I want to get to know your story and I want, I I know a little bit about your story because we used to work together many years ago, but I really want other people to understand who you are, where you come from, what made you the person you are today.
1: All right. So thank you so much for having me first and foremost. It has been a long time coming, so (laughs) I'm very excited to be here and I'm very, very happy and proud of what you're doing with the Diferente podcast. So a little bit about myself. I am, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Uh, I have been in the States now. This will be my 20th year, so it's a very emotional year for me. But I grew up in a town called West in Puerto Rico. It's the biggest city in the West Coast. I grew up with my grandparents in the countryside, and I would uh, visit my mom who lived in the city side.
0: Why did you grow up with your grandparents and not your mother? Because that's a little different.
1: Yeah, so um, my parents had me very young, so they were in their teens, and my father ended up moving to the States. So when I was two, three years old, my grandmother uh, ended up um, taking care of me. Uh, My mother, unfortunately, had tons of health issues, and she couldn't care for me. So I ended up moving in with my grandma when I was three. And I grew up with a big family. But my grandmother from my father's side, the paternal grandmother actually took care of of me as a child. And then like I said, I would see my mom on weekends, uh, pretty much every other weekend.
0: What did you think of that? What kind of feelings do you remember from that age that you couldn't really see your mom every day? Because as a kid, I can't imagine not being able to see my mom all the time.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that you are reflective about now. I am a father now, and you reflect a lot about that. But to be quite honest with you, um, at the time I didn't think about it. That was my norm. I lived with my grandma. I called her mommy, so mommy koki. Mommy koki <laughs> was for me was my other mom. So as a child, uh, it was never um, it was never present. When I was nine, I made the decision that my mom was in fact. Uh, better, uh, health wise. And I wanted to live with her. So, um, in a very, very dramatic, uh, fashion, I announced to my grandparents that as much as I loved them, that I wanted to be with my mom and At nine years old. Yeah, it was, it was a moment where, um, you know, I needed to be with my mom. I, I wanted to be with her. Yeah. So I moved to the city. Um, she lived in uh, in the downtown and then we ended up moving a couple of times, um, we lived in Manantiales, then we lived in Rio Hondo, and then we lived in Rio Cristal. And that was the last place where, um, where we moved. And then something crazy ended up happening because my mom actually ended up moving to Hawaii to, oh. uh, yeah, she ended up moving to Hawaii when I was 13 years old. And, uh, last year I had the epiphany that all of my, I got a front row seat to the power of the internet because my mom actually met her then husband through playing games. they were actually playing Diablo um, online and we ended up, she ended up meeting him. He came to Puerto Rico, They met. And when I was 13 years old, uh, she wanted me to move with her to Hawaii because she was going to marry this, uh, this person. And I had to have a second sit down with a parent and <laughs> you know, share with her that as happy as I was for her to fall love, that that was not my choice or decision. And that was not my life choice. So unfortunately, I couldn't move to Hawaii because that's not what my heart wanted to do. But I encouraged her to do that. So at 13, I uh, I moved back with my grandparents. And that summer, I made the decision to stay in the States. So I was mm-hmm. here in the summer and my dad kind of sat me down and said, listen, you always wanted to come here for college. Um, we think that it's going to be better for you to come here in high school and get acclimated with the language and this and that. And I was not doing grading school at the time because of a lot of different personal things at the time. And um, I made the decision that I wasn't going to move back with my grandmother, that I was going to move to the States with my dad. So at 14, oh, okay. I ended up moving to Naples with my dad and my stepmom.
0: What a big change. I mean, I, I, yes, <laughs> it's still kind of the beach type life, I guess, in a way. But still, mm-hmm. you, Naples, Florida is a big contrast uh, yeah. to Puerto Rico. It was, uh,
1: <laughs> it was definitely uh, a lot of shock. There was a lot, a lot of shock for me um, for a lot of different reasons.
0: What do you remember from back in that time? What was most shocking to you?
1: All right. So we, it's, it's about to get real. I don't know if it's going to make it to oh, the air or Oh, please give, now, it, but, give it to us. Um, <laughs> we can take so, that. <laughs> yeah. So It was really hard when I moved here, you know, like I said, I had gone through a lot of, a lot of things with, with my mom and, and her health. And, you know, I was coming over with a lot of mental baggage, if you will, right? Like you're... You're 14 years old. You come into a new country. I was leaving behind my best friends. You know, I I had my first girlfriend. It was you know, imagine the the whole notion of completely ripping everything that makes you happy, and then you came here with with the hope to to make it right. Because the thing is, when when you when you grow up in a foreign country, at least for me, even Puerto Rico, it was really really tough because you always had this notion of like if you go to the states, just to be successful, right? My father oh, yeah. left the states when I was a kid, and you know that right you come here to be successful you know that you have to work hard and you have all these like preconceived notions that you're gonna have to bust your ass right (laughs) like that's the that's -hmm. the notion but I wasn't ready for the cultural shock I wasn't ready for you know I understood English but I didn't speak it and then when I got here what I wasn't ready for um Marie is that I wasn't Hispanic enough for the Hispanic people in the school which there were (laughs) not many Mm -hmm. and I was you know not one of you know the white people I just uh-huh. I was I was a I'm minority. I was that. I was a foreigner. <laughs> and and yeah. I say this because I understand you know, I was hearing, you know, your story and you, you've been dealing in that duality, right? Like you yeah. I know that you've gone through that a lot. So what I wasn't ready was for the Hispanic side. Everyone felt like I didn't have the same struggle because I didn't have to worry about papers. I didn't have to worry about green cards and I didn't so it's oh. like you're not an immigrant right like for them you're not an immigrant you're already a citizen you already passed every test there is to pass and oh. that just wasn't the case right like i i was in easel yeah. classes with everyone so i literally didn't speak to anyone the whole first year i ended up having one haitian friend and one super hippie rock and roll white guy um <laughs> he was actually a white rasta i remember and and it was crazy because it was the three of us like that was it you know and By the second year, you know, I got acclimated and and I started building relationships, but something that only close people to me, a story that close people to me know, and I guess now the whole world will know is (laughs) one of the craziest memories for me was when I came in here, our guidance counselor basically told my parents, this kid is never going to graduate in less than five years. And why are you planning for college? most people don't go to college. That was my, that was my welcome to this country. So that was such a big kind of shock, right? It was like, like the first time that I felt privilege crashing onto someone. Now, mind you, by this point, my father was very much working middle-class, you know, he was a manager for a supermarket down here. You know, we lived in, in a nice side of, of town. It wasn't the rich side of Naples, but you know, we were definitely, you know, blessed to have a normal quote unquote Kind of like home neighborhood. The crazy thing that ended up happening in that same school year was, um, I remember this kid. Don't remember his name. Doesn't matter. Obviously, call me a toma- a dirty tomato picker, dirty tomato picker. And I <laughs> did not understand what the hell that meant. Uh... I did not understand what that meant. I, I, I did not understand why that sentence. And mm-hmm. um, what was incredible was that this, it was there was this Ecuadorian guy. Who literally, physically stood up for me. And and this, you know, and this young guy continued just kind of teasing the two of us. And then he had to explain to me. Remember, I don't speak English at this point. Yeah. He he tried to explain to me about the kind of like the put down of the immoculo- the mockily Mexican workers. Uh-huh. And I obviously, again, I'm coming from Puerto Rico. I had learned Latin American history. I had learned about all the great, you know, the great civilizations. I had learned about all of our Hispanic and, and, and Latinx, you know, culture. I had never learned about, you know, the put downs and the struggles of Mexicans and Mexican Americans in the United States. Yeah. So that was the first first time where I truly felt, um, what racism feels like. It was the first time that I realized like, oh man, um, you know, and, and that definitely triggered something in me to educate myself and to try to build a world where that doesn't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so I had this guy who stood up for me and then educated me on, on, on what the, the guy was trying to do. And, um, yeah, Naples was tough, but then two years <laughs> in, we ended up moving to Lakeland, Florida. <laughs> what? Why? Um, because he got an incredible opportunity for his career, oh, um, okay. and we ended up moving. We ended up moving up here, and um, I remember that conversation like it was yesterday because it was one of those times. That um, was the second time like I felt like I actually had a a really kinda of like one on one moment with my dad. The first time that I felt that way was definitely when I was uh when he asked me to move here. You know, like I felt like, you know, he's a human being, I'm a human being. And this was the second time that he was very thoughtful about the impact that it would have to me. And, you know, he almost gave me an option, right? Like he almost gave me a uh an out that if I if I didn't want to move and disrupt everything. And once again, you know, I I, I joke all the time that I grew up too fast. I, I obviously understood (laughs) what that meant for him and i was just so proud of what he was embarking on doing that Mm -hmm. i was like there's just no way right like there's no way but i was horrified (laughs) i was really scared i was really scared over again i had to start over again i started reading obviously we had the internet already so started reading about lakeland florida and like you know scary things and people obviously always talk about the negative things so
0: what are the negative things about um, Lakeland? You For- know, Florida? honestly, I've never heard.
1: no, no. So, everything at the time that people would tell me was like the KKK still there, it's in the middle <gasps> of Florida, oh. and it's scary, and the racism. And I will have to say that it was furthest from the truth. <laughs> oh. um, it was um, some of the kindest, kindest people um that i've that i've you know that i that i've met yes there has been a history of racial tension yes there are individuals but to collectively say that all of the county all of the town was definitely an unfair assessment from people Mm. so needless to say mind you i'm 16 years old right i'm 16 years old i'm still not acclimated to this country i just made friends for the first time i was petrified um and i went inward <laughs> i i decided that if i didn't talk to anyone if i didn't if i just kind to stay the course my job was to graduate from high school with good grades and go to college <laughs> that was my oh, whole okay. that was my whole my whole goal at that time <laughs>
0: And and is that what happened?
1: Yeah. So um, joke on the on the on the guidance counselor. So I actually ended up graduating with college credits. <laughs> My stepmom was an incredible part of of, of me succeeding. Very grateful for um, for her pushing me. Um, I went to college. I stayed in town. Uh, I stayed in Lakeland for reasons that I will not get into because we don't have all night. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a um, way to leave us with a cliffhanger! There. Yeah,
1: no, part two maybe. Um, so I ended up, uh, I ended up in, in Lakeland. Uh, I'm grateful for every decision. I have no regrets. So I still, I ended up in Lakeland. I was still at home. I was still hormonal. Um, I was working, you know, 30 plus hours a week. Um, and I, I, you know, I wanted to do things that I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to perform. I wanted to be in music. I wanted to just kind of follow my heart in a lot of different areas. And unfortunately, I, I just, I burnt myself out. I had been, I've been working really hard to to get to college. And I got to college and I realized that I just, I really wasn't ready. Like I wasn't ready for the workload to the, the balancing life was not, a talent that I had. And um, in my rebeldia, um, <laughs> my big rebellion, when I decided to m- drop out of college and move out, like every normal 19-year-old, I decided to buy a house.
0: <laughs> oh, after you dropped out of college.
1: So my, my dad had taken all of my savings when I was early on, and he was incredibly smart, and had put him in, in some stocks. Um, so by the time, when I was 14 years old, so by the time that I was 19... I had enough to a down payment to which then he um, kind of ended up padding and co-signing. So he ended up giving me a hand and finding a home, and my whole another layer of crazy life began then. So, um, okay, a streak of independence, as you can notice, is my my. <laughs> uh,
0: like your life motto? <laughs>
1: my continuity, yeah. Like my uh, my continuity has been rebellion and independence. So um, I started in marketing in nineteen. So my dad gave me um, kind of like gave me uh, an opportunity to interview at the corporation uh, where I was working in the retail side. So I he helped me get an interview at the corporation, and I always said my dad helped me get the job, uh, but I had to work my behind off to keep it. <laughs> But that was essentially the beginning of being in, in in marketing professional. I was 19 years old. That's awesome. And, and
0: without uh, even finishing your college degree at that point.
1: Right. So at that point, I had enough credits. Technically, I had an associate's, right? From a credits perspective, I just didn't have the oh, piece okay. of paper. I've been a performer since I was a kid. And I ended up finding music. And, you know, for you to have a show, you need to to book it. You know, even in mm-hmm. marketing. For you to have recordings, you have to produce them. <laughs> so... And for you to get people to come out, you need to promote it. So I, I was basically a, a young musician trying to get people to care about about our music. I used to joke that I used to earn people's trust with a keyboard, because um, all I had was, you know, the internet was free. <laughs> and there were and there were real people on the other side, <laughs> so, um, ironically, I ended up becoming a copywriter. So I literally earned people's trust with the keyboard. Ah, um,
0: uh, that's so cool! So it was.
1: It's 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 insane. It's insane. So. So I was always in marketing. My dad knew that that kind of was my thing. And I think that for him, yeah. that was like, that's the one, the, my crazy creative kid, that's the one area in business that, that you know, he could do something with. So he gave yeah. me an opportunity and I was a, a uh, I was a proofreader. I was a translator slash proofreader at okay. the time. Uh, that's, okay. that was my, my professional entry job in in the industry
0: gosh quite a story i know that eventually (laughs) you did graduate from college and then you started in the profession that you have now in marketing but eventually also or at the same time i don't i don't know if it was simultaneous you did create a company
1: yes so that's actually the perfect segue (laughs) so in 2008 i retired from my corporate job and that's because in the process of me Being uh, basically a translator proofreader, I fell in love with copywriting. And the advertising bug just bit me. Being there was an incredible opportunity for me to see all the areas in marketing. I learned about research. I learned about media planning. I learned about media uh, buying. I learned about creative. I learned about strategy, brand management. um, You know, are you sure they didn't
0: learn about this through Mad Men? Because that's about the right Um, time.
1: (laughs) It's so crazy, right? So I um, so it was so wild because I, I know, I know, I know. I I feel like I'm. I feel like I I belong in the '60s.
0: You? Yeah, I'm talking to you. What are you doing with this podcast? Are you sharing it with your friends? Because one of the best ways to let somebody know that you care about them is by sharing thought inspiring content with them, like this podcast, where we share stories and experiences that expose us to different perspectives. Here are three easy ways to share the show you can take a screenshot of this episode and post it on social media, text it directly to anyone in your contact list, or You can also send them the link to our website, diferentepodcast.com. Voila. Super simple. If you like Diferente, the best way to support us is by sharing it, sharing it, and sharing it some more. Now let's get on with the show.
1: You know, the funny thing about that, the moments that I fell in love with this industry, was one of my early mentors was a copywriter who had been there for a very long time. And she had this book. It was a book of interviews with the Advertising Grades by Ad Age. And reading the interviews with David Ogilvie, Bill Birnbach, Leo Burnett, I just lost my mind. Like, I was just ready to do this advertising thing, copywriting was the the perfect mix of everything I had ever done, right? Like, I was a singer-songwriter, so I was still writing. I was in marketing still. I'm in the creative side of things. You get to do productions. You get to do radio. You get to do television. And reading about these gentlemen from, right, the 60s, right, the people that <laughs> Men were uh, were based on just completely built this insane stereo, you know, stereo art, stereo uh, Starry eyed vicious advertising. Yeah. <laughs> Starry eyed. There you go. My accent is coming through right now. My accent <laughs> I know. I love it. Um so so one of my mentors got me this mm-hmm. book and another one of my mentors told me to check out this portfolio school that was being built in Tampa at the University of South Florida. So I ended up uh, retiring in two thousand and eight and I left advertising to get back into advertising. <laughs> And uh, I ended up, yeah, so I ended up going to USF, Uh, the Zimmerman advertising, Jordan Zimmerman had just funded a new advertising program at USF, which is his alma mater. And um, at that time, and leading into kind of like what we're discussing today, uh, I took a humanities class that I wasn't supposed to take. And the guy was talking about this book for the year, and he was talking about social mosaics. And how Miami is a social mosaic, right? So this is 2009 now. And the whole book was, and I don't know the name of the book, but the whole premise of the class was talking about social mosaics, how the idea of the melting pot essentially um, was disappearing in this country. And Miami was a, a prime place for this to happen because when... The Cuban revolution happened and a lot of the wealthy Cubans came to Miami. For those of you who don't know this, so the Cubans that came here, came here just to kind of let the the revolution pass, right? They had every intention to go back home. So with them coming here with the intention to come back home, they never came here as your traditional immigrant coming here. They came here as Cubans with money (laughs) kind of going in this, we're just going to go back. So they never lost Mm They're Cubanhood. They never lost their soul, mm-hmm. they never lost their spirit. And obviously, historically, we all kind of know what happened after with Fidel Castro, mm-hmm. and then the people who started coming here were not the wealthy people. But mm-hmm. what that did for us was that for the first time ever, if you think about the Italians, the Irish, the Chinese, the Japanese, all of those cultures back then were coming here To become American, right? That was Mm -hmm. the whole notion where, like, they were leaving their country behind to become American. So here you have, for the first time ever, this group, they're like, no, 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 no. Like, yo soy cubano, right? Like, I am who I am. So what makes this beautiful and what ended up I ended up falling in love with was the idea that the melting pot, it's not the only solution. That a social mosaic gives you the same kind of power... And, and empowerment and pride of being part of a greater good, being part of a greater culture, being part of a greater country without losing your identity, without losing oh. who you are, without losing your background. So Social Mosaic for me became this idea that, you know. At the time, remember, I'm, I'm I'm taking mass communication classes. I, I already have my associates. I, I was taking all of my, you know, my kind of higher, you know, higher classes. Um, I only had a year and a half left um, for me to graduate. So I started getting into these classes that you start learning about, the responsibility of corporations, the responsibility of mass communications, the legalities. Um, one of the most, believe it or not, as a creative, one of the most important classes I took um, was actually a... Uh, A law class. It was mass communication law. Uh, And it was beautiful. It was a lawyer. She was a uh, Jamaican uh, professor. Um, And she was phenomenal, loved her. And I I learned so much about the responsibility of mass communications, uh, the history of journalism, how advertising was born from journalism, why things are the way they are. And I felt at that moment that Social Mosaic was going to be the thing that i could bring to the world. Social mosaic was the, the thing that as a communications company, right? Like i've always been about integrated marketing. That has always been my passion. It's not about a fad, it's not about a channel, it's not about a specific thing, it's about the col- the, the collection the collection of ideas and thoughts that a person experiences either through human being in, you know, human to human interaction or human to technology. Because remember, if you go back to where I come from, my mom ended up marrying a guy who she met playing a video mm-hmm. game. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I understood the power, right? I understood the power of, of the internet, of social media. I understood the shift of the two-way communication model so a book like a book like the brand gap is a great um uh place to to go to where you start seeing it's not a a messenger sending a message to an audience right like no it's it's a company talking to a person who's a human being who has feelings that then has feedback and then the review economy is born and the comment sections take over and bloggers are born and all of a sudden, you have this incredible responsibility to carry on a conversation, not just to send out mass messages, right? It's not mass come anymore. It's mass yeah. conversation. So I felt like I had something special being a person of color, doing the things, you know, experiencing the things that I experienced up to that point, seeing racism, understanding um, the, the change that a brand can bring. I, I felt like, again, in that same air of, of independence and rebeldia, um I feel like I had something. I feel like I had a really strong idea and, and, and I feel like I have found my purpose. And that's my biggest, my message um, and my anchor is create with purpose for that reason. Because mm-hmm. even the name of the company was born with the goal and the purpose to embrace individuality first and foremost, but understand that, all great things happen in a collective understanding that the mosaic is what makes you great understanding that that's what this country was built on people forget that we're 50 independent states that came united right like people forget that there's different lands there's different ideas there's different people and that that's what makes the idea of the united states so great is that a place as large as we are can be a collective single entity. And guess what? That's all based on an idea, right? The ideas yeah. that lived inside of the Declaration of Independence, of the Constitution, of our our great um, founding fathers' papers, that although we're not perfect, created the first idea that men are created equal, that men can be self-ruling, and that democracy should lead how we come together, So I just love that you don't have to melt away to be part of something bigger.
0: Oh, that's so powerful. No, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that you share that story because I would have never thought about it that way. Now, I have a very random question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you said people of color, it made me think of something. When I was growing up in Mexico, I never thought of myself as a person of color. Did you ever think of yourself as a person of color in Puerto Rico? So yes. Okay.
1: Um, Racism exists everywhere. I also had this epiphany last year, so you're actually catching me in 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 a, in a time of transition. You're catching me in a time of incredible pain and incredible growth, both nice physical up. and mental. Um, been going through a lot of self reflection, made a lot of really big personal decisions. Um, find out I'm having some you know health uh, issues that it it completely changed a lot of assumptions, a lot of. Um thoughts and plans that I had. Um, but I had this realization that I am so incredibly passionate about diversity because of where I come from. So the thing about Puerto Rico that is very different than most places, even in the Caribbean, is that our whole identity is the celebration of the African, of the Taino, and the Spaniard. If honestly, it's the most important piece of what we do. It's what makes us Puerto Rican. Um, and I realized that that celebration and that embracing for me—it's—it's—it's it's, it's why I love what I love. It's why Social Mosaic makes sense. It's why purpose is—it's all I care about. It's why um, you know I—I am I, a champion for for change and acceptance and individuality. But with that said, it is very open. The whole. The east side of the island is where the mm. mostly African are. And the Hibaro are different than the Murtaino. And then you have the, you know, whiter, like there is definitely still racism present. So a lot of that was very real. So I always saw myself as Amaboriqua, <laughs> but I understood that I also wasn't my grandma. So my grandma has blue eyes, super fair skin, but she has an Afro. <laughs> But that's the thing is that that's what makes us us. But inside of that, there's definitely the, you are definitely more African than I am. I am definitely Uh more Taíno than you are. So Uh I did grow up with the understanding that I look different. However, because of my education and because of where culture was at the time, I grew up with the celebration that the mix is what made us. So it was... You know, it was present, it was real. Mm -hmm. My particular experience focused on the fact that you celebrate the mix. You are who you are thanks to those three razas coming together.
0: Tune in next week to hear the rest of Alex's story and learn from his experience as a creative strategist. Or if you're listening in the future, hello, people from the future! Is anyone still using plastic disposable straws? Anyway, just look for the episode labeled 133, part two. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you like this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at AdiferenteLife Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto!